Today I'm going to talk about mindfulness and probably also the five, six, one features of the six senses. Mindfulness is a word that is very popular nowadays, not only among Buddhist circles, but worldwide. And it is used universally in almost all types of human endeavors. Many of the pioneers of modern secular mindfulness attribute the teachings or the idea or concept of mindfulness to Buddhist teachings. And nowadays it is popularly understood as present moment awareness. The reason why it's so successful internationally, universally, is because it works. Why does it work? Perhaps it will become clear to you by the end of tonight's talk. Although mindfulness is currently and popularly understood to mean present moment awareness, it is actually a translation of the Pali word sati. Sati is a Pali word and it is a noun form of the verb sarati. In the whole of the Pali language, a language in which the scriptures of the Theravadins are recorded, there is only one word for to remember, and that is sarati. So if sarati is the verb, then what is the noun? The noun is sati, and in English it should be translated as remembrance. How then can we reconcile this difference between remembrance and present moment awareness? Because these seems to be contradictory. The very word remembrance, the very word remember, connotes that you are thinking of the past or aware of something of the past. You can't remember the present, you remember the past. This is very puzzling for people who are familiar with the Bali language. And in fact, in Burmese and in Thai, sati is translated as remembrance, not as present moment awareness. How then can we 
reconcile this apparent contradiction. It took me many years of research in the scriptures as well as reading other scholars understanding of what this word means interviewing fellow yogis and my students and meditation teachers and finally I came to the conclusion that there are four aspects of sati that are very important not only for spiritual development but also for all worldly endeavors for success in the world as well as in your spiritual pursuits I've summarized them into the four R's the first R is remember the second is recollect the third is remind and the last one is retrospect let me explain when you first checked in on Sunday and we started the retreat I introduced to you Buddha Nusri and the chanting of Arahang Samasambuddho I also explained to you the meaning and your job was then was to memorize those words and then keep on repeating them chanting them verbally as well as mentally the first thing you need to do is to listen carefully while I'm giving you instructions and try to remember what I tell you correct? what the meaning is and how you do it the first thing you need to do is to get the tune right then after that understand the meaning and so forth so that is the first R to remember what is being said at the moment or when you are reading a book you are reading instructions from a book you have to remember what you are reading it's just like students when they want to study for an exam they don't just read their textbooks as though they are reading a newspaper when you read a newspaper you don't bother to remember those facts you just read for intellectual stimulation for the interest of it in the subject although you don't deliberately try to remember sometimes due to personal interests and inclinations people can remember things that they like they have inclination for automatically but it's different this is trying to deliberately remember and there are a few yogis here who are new to Arahang Samasambudo they say that they cannot while the recording is on when everybody is chanting they can follow but once they are on their own they forget the tune and they don't know how to chant and one yogi was faced with was encountered with something frightening fearful and she wanted to chant Sakino and then she got stuck halfway they don't know how to continue to chant so that's why I told you 
You have to be conversant and skillful so that it becomes second nature to you. Because if you really encounter a fearful or frightful situation, the tendency is to panic. And if you are not familiar with something, you will automatically forget. So students have to study their textbooks and memorize the main points so that when they sit for the exams, without their textbooks open in front of them, they can recall or recollect what they had remembered. So there's the second R, recollection. So that's why Buddha Nusati is also made up of the word Sati, Anu Sati. Anu is to repeatedly, and Sati means to recollect. Repeatedly recollect the Buddha or his virtues. Well, we know the Buddha only by his virtues because we can't see him now. So that's the second thing. The first thing is you need to remember. And remembrance is something which is deliberate. It is not spontaneous. So there's a difference between spontaneous memory and deliberate memory. When you try to memorize something, that is deliberate memory. When you spontaneously recognize something, that's spontaneous memory. For instance, when I introduced you to open awareness meditation, I asked you to maintain a defocused awareness of your senses. Because we don't want to, or we want to reduce the chances of grasping at the signs or features of what we can perceive through the senses. So we try to defocus. And I told you, we are not interested in the objects of the senses. We just want to make use of them to anchor the mind. We are more interested in the subject, the mind, how the mind is reacting or responding to what's happening at the senses. So that's why I told you there's a difference between free and easy touch and go and at an anchor. At an anchor is for the mind, where you need to acknowledge what's happening in the mind, but for free and easy touch and go, you don't need to acknowledge what you hear, what you see, what you feel, what sort of sensation it is, and so forth. However, even though I tell you not to do so, the mind automatically identifies. That's a frog, that's an insect, that's a gibbon, that's a monkey, that's a motorbike passing by, and then you hear this morning there was a lot of noise because of the car, something wrong with the car, and the alarm is going on and off so often. So automatically, you know, the mind will start to recognize that. So that is spontaneous memory. That is not sati. Sati is deliberate memory, to memorize. However, if you memorize something, and then you do it for a long time, then it becomes automatic or spontaneous memory later on. So in Pali, we have two terms for that. The first one is sati, which is deliberate memory. And the second is called sanya, usually translated as perception. This is very obvious when one starts to learn a new language. When you want to learn a new language, 
you have to put in a lot of effort to try to remember the script for the particular word, what sort of sound to produce, how to articulate your tongue and your voice box to produce that sound. That requires a lot of sati, mindfulness. However, when you become conversant in a language, everything is automatic. You don't even have to think about it. Yeah, your tongue can just roll and you can just talk without being conscious. So from sati, it goes on to sanya. So it's the same when you learn your chanting. Some of you here have been doing Arahang, Samasambudo and Sukino for years. For you, it's automatic. So you may chant mentally or verbally and the mind is going on auto mode and while you're chanting, you know, the mind can be thinking of something else. Whereas for those who are new, they need to put in a lot of effort to try to remember those words, the tune. Okay? So the first is to remember while you are listening, while you are reading, remember that, memorize that, memorize the main points so that later on you can recollect. So all these Dhamma rhymes that I gave you it's also an exercise for your mindfulness. Here, in a normal retreat like this, I allow you to take notes. You can write down and forget, you can look back at it. But when we do our mindful hiking retreats, the hikers are not allowed to take notes. They are supposed to listen. At the end of the talk, then they are supposed to recollect what I have said and try to present that to see how much they can retain in their memory. During the Buddha's time, there were no books, no recording devices. The only thing that you have is your own memory. So during the Buddha's time, when we want to transmit the Dharma, we want to transmit the Dharma teachings from one person to another, from one generation to another, everything was done by rote. So when a teacher wants to teach a student, the first thing that a student has to know is to learn by heart the teachings and without understanding. That was how I learned traditional Pali. In traditional Pali, you learn all the formulas by heart first. And the formulas are not made up of proper Pali words, they are short forms like abbreviations. It's like when you study physics or chemistry or mathematics, you have certain formulas, and particularly maths. When you do a mathematical problem, you are supposed to cite the formula that you use to solve that problem. So when we study traditional polygrammer, when we want to analyze a word into its components, into its root, and then its prefixes and suffixes and so forth, then we need to quote or cite, this formula says you dissect it this way. This formula says you put this in a suffix, and this one says you put prefix and so forth. So when you study traditional polygrammer, 
You study all these formulas first and the teacher doesn't explain to you. You have to memorize all of them first and then only he'll come and teach you, okay, what does this stand for? So for me, it was a great problem. For the Samaniras, no problem. Within a week, they can memorize everything. <laughs> they don't have to know the meaning. You just memorize and they can go into their head. At that time, I was already in my, you know, mid-twenties. My brain circuit has already been conditioned in a certain way. It's not easy to memorize something which you don't understand. <laughs> Alright, so now when you're doing the Dharma rhymes, it's something which you understand and the tune is catchy. You should be able to remember it and make use of it in the course of your meditation, particularly in order to guide you along the way. Sometimes people tend to forget instructions. So you need to be reminded, and this is a good reminder. This may seem like kindergarten, but then in Burma, this is a very, very standard format that is used almost in all Dhamma talks and all meditation centers for the local yogis. They have to recite those Dhamma rhymes to help them to remember the principles of practice. Okay, so to remember, to recollect. You can only recollect something which you had deliberately remembered, otherwise you wouldn't be able to do so. Another good example is, maybe some of you have a routine of doing evening chanting or morning chanting daily or once or twice a week. And you have been chanting for donkey years using a chanting book. But you never made a point to deliberately memorize those chants. So one day, if you misplaced your chanting book, then holiday, no need to chant. Right? Although you have been doing it for so long because you never made a deliberate effort to memorize, you cannot recollect. Okay? Now, this perception or sanya can also work without deliberate memorization. Sanya is working all the time. Sometimes there's one good example of a young Samanira in Burma. He was one of those temporary novices during the summer vacation, you know. They have this Buddhist course for students. So he came in as a temporary Samanira in the meditation center and he practiced meditation. His samadhi and his mindfulness was pretty good. So there was a point when he was able to recollect his experience in his mother's womb, how he felt like, and so forth. And he described it very, very explicitly and very clearly. Now, when he was in the mother's womb, he didn't make a deliberate effort to remember what was happening, but because when his mindfulness or sati was strong enough, that sati is able to recollect what Sanya had automatically registered. But later, after he disrobed and went back to his lay life, and later when he came back and Seattle asked him about it, he had totally forgotten everything. Not a single thing. And that's why people can also remember past lives. In past lives, maybe you did not make a deliberate effort to remember all the things that you did, but 
Sanya is registering all this information. It's all recorded there. It's just like cloud service is up there, uploaded up there. You just need to have the right password to retrieve it. Okay? So for remember and recollect. The next R is remind. So I've taught you this Arahang Sukino. I also gave you Dhamma rhymes to recite. And you may know all of them by heart. You can recollect them. But you also need to remind yourself to put those things into practice. You can remember Arang Sammasambuddho, you can remember Sukino, and you're doing for a while, and then suddenly the mind is distracted by something else, and then you realize, hey, I'm supposed to be chanting, how come I'm distracted? Then you remind yourself, go back to chanting. That is also another aspect of mindfulness. Reminding yourself. When you practice open awareness too, it's the same. Sometimes you try to open up your awareness, free and easy, touch and go. Sometimes you are distracted by one object and you start to think about it or it triggers off a memory and you get lost in it. And then once you realize it, you say, oh, I'm supposed to be practicing open awareness. And you have to remind yourself, okay, don't reject, don't follow, don't ignore, acknowledge and anchor the mind back to the five senses. Alright, so that is reminding. All these are associated with past objects. Even when I tell you now, and you're trying to memorize my instructions and what I'm trying to say to you, this is not present moment awareness in the true sense of the word. Actually, it's past. Because when I speak, it's just sound. Your ears only hear sound. After the ears hear the sound, then the mind will interpret that sound into a concept or a meaning. Otherwise, it's a sound. Pungi Pamasagabyo Nede Sadoshin Tigadagamamiya Nale Jadala Banale Jadale isn't this just sound? <laughs> a sound, no? A meaning? Yeah, it's a sound. So, this is actually the immediate past. You hear something, after the sound has passed, then the mind will take that and process that and get a meaning out of it. It happens so fast, you think it's simultaneous, but it's not. So that brings us to the last one, retrospect. When you're practicing open awareness, you hear a sound. Alright? So, as I said, the ear hears the sound. But it's the mind that interprets or recognizes the sound, not the ear. The ear consciousness is not able to recognize what sound it is. It is just able to recognize that it is a sound. Not the smell or taste or anything like that. It's just a sound. They may recognize that it's a sound of a different vibration, but it's unable to identify that it's a toad croaking, or it's a frog croaking, or it's an insect. 
even more obvious is when your mind runs off you're trying to practice open awareness just free and easy touch and go from one sense experience to another and then the mind starts to ruminate you keep your eyes open then you see shapes and forms and suddenly a mountain appears or suddenly a face appears suddenly a Buddha image appears from there and then you start to ruminate or think about that and then suddenly you realize hey I shouldn't be doing that Okay, so that's actually looking back at the past what the mind had just done the mind had just started to imagine started to create something and then you realize it the mind ran off wandered off then only you realized it you're aware of it so actually is the immediate past anger arises first and then you realize that anger has arisen when you go to get your food you see the food and there is greed for that food because of a past experience you have eaten that sort of food before it, it tasted good and you liked it and now because of that you want to take that food so you see that greed arising or if it's something which you dislike you also see that dislike first and then you are aware of it so when I use the word introspect I mean to look back because the word introspect is made up of two Latin words intro and spect intro means back and spect means look ok when you look at all these things these four hours of mindfulness There's nothing spiritual about them, actually. Even if you are a lay person and you want to succeed in life, you need to have all these four. If you're a student, you have to study, memorize your books, recollect it for the examination, remind yourself when you're studying that you should not allow your mind to stray off into computer games or thinking about your girlfriend or your boyfriend and be distracted from what you're supposed to do. You have to remind yourself, put that aside. You can do that after the exams are over. Come back. And of course, you also need to retrospect. You need to look back at what the mind is doing. Whether the mind is concentrating on what it's supposed to study or has it wandered off somewhere else. So you need that. Even if you're working, you're an employee, also you need to remember instructions when your boss gives them to you. You have to recollect them and then you have to remind yourself to fulfill your targets, to reach your targets. Right? So you also need to look back at your mind. You know, when you are talking to your boss and your boss scolds you, you know, you see there's anger in you but you cannot answer back the boss because he's the boss so you have to control your own mind you have to look back at the emotions and you have to control them so there's nothing spiritual about the four hours of mindfulness it is something very universal and you could say amoral it is how it is used that is important even snipers have got very good mindfulness very good concentration you know but they are doing it for an unwholesome 
and unwholesome aim. So mindfulness becomes spiritual from the Buddhist point of view only when it is used in order to see things as they really are. See things as they have occurred according to the laws of nature. And what are the laws of nature? Is that everything that arises due to cause and conditions, sankharas, are subject to the three characteristics of impermanence, suffering, and not-self. And you have to keep on remembering this as uh, theoretical knowledge, and then reminding yourself to try to verify this through your own personal experience in the course of meditation. Only then, mindfulness becomes spiritual. And mindfulness is directed towards this aim. First thing, you need to remember these principles of the three characteristics and the conditionality of things. You have to recollect it, remind yourself. So every time, for example, you feel upset with yourself for doing something which you shouldn't do. Maybe a nasty comment has arisen in you about somebody else. And then you look at it and say, oh, I'm supposed to be a good Buddhist. How can I have such a nasty comment? Whenever you identify your thoughts, feelings, ideas, opinions, or whatever with me, mine, and myself, that's really wrong view. <laughs> There's no one there. <laughs> Actually, these are all products of causes and conditions, which you don't see, you haven't seen yet. Maybe some of you, the new people, haven't seen it. But when you really see that all these are products of causes and conditions, there's no one to blame. You don't blame yourself, you don't blame others because everything is a product of cause and condition. So that's why that is our ultimate aim. Our ultimate aim is to be able to penetrate this so that we don't identify with things and make ourselves and others suffer. That is on the ultimate level. On the conventional level, of course, there is still a personality. You have your responsibilities, you have expectations, all these things you need to accept and follow. You have to fulfill your responsibilities, you need to have expectations in life to get things done. That's on the conventional level. On the ultimate level, there's no one there. It's just products of causes and conditions. And yet, there shouldn't be the deterministic view that since everything is the product of causes and conditions, no need to do anything. Lah. Even if I want to kill or so, it's a product of causes and conditions. Even if I want to steal or swiddle somebody or cheat somebody or so, it's a product of causes and conditions. Well, there's a tendency to fall to the other extreme. But when we walk the noble eightfold path, there's one factor that's called right effort. 
And right effort is the effort made to <coughs> abandon unwholesome states when they arise. And to prevent unwholesome states from arising if they have not yet arisen. The second pair of right effort is to arouse wholesome states if they have not yet arisen. And secondly, once they have arisen, to maintain and develop them to fulfillment. But this is a very important factor. So even though we are able to see that things arise due to causes and conditions, not me, not mine, not myself, but if you see that it's unwholesome, you should abandon it. Okay, that's a very important thing. So, actually, mindfulness can be broadly classified into three types. One is normal mindfulness, which is both for worldly purposes as well as spiritual in the sense that you live in a spiritual community now, you have to remember to do your chores, you have to remember to come for interview, to come for Dharma talks and so forth. You need to remember this schedule and try to stick to them, remind yourself and so forth. These are all normal mindfulness. Then you have right mindfulness and wrong mindfulness. Right mindfulness is all the four hours that are used in order for you to walk the noble path to attain liberation. So if you remember all those Dhamma rhymes, remember all those principles of the Dhamma, having right view, you're able to distinguish what is wholesome, what is unwholesome, and remember how to do so, remind yourself to do so, remind yourself to have right effort. All of this is right mindfulness. Particularly remembering to see things in terms of Nichadukanata and causes and conditions. Remembering and reminding yourself to incline the mind to verify that all these experiences, all these things that are happening are due to causes and conditions. On the other hand, that is wrong mindfulness. Wrong mindfulness is connected with the spiritual path also. But doing it the wrong way and you will not attain liberation. Right? So you might be doing some other spiritual practices. Whatever spiritual practice you do, you need to have mindfulness. You need to remember instructions. You need to recollect them when your teacher is not around. You need to remind yourself to put those instructions into practice. You need all this too, whatever spiritual practice that you do. But if that spiritual practice does not lead to Nibbana, does not lead to liberation from samsara, then it is wrong mindfulness. Okay? So if you remember your spouse's birthday, your mother's birthday, that is mindfulness too. But that's neither right nor wrong because it's nothing connected with the spiritual path. That is just normal mindfulness. I'm going to come now to how we can make use of mindfulness to compose the mind. I've given you all these instructions. I taught you Arahang Sama Sambodho Sukino Wakimino Huntu what's the meaning and how to do it. 
So while you're trying to focus your attention on Arahang Samasambuddho, trying to focus your attention on chanting Sukino Makimino Huntu continuously, don't you see that your mind composes, it calms down, and there are less thoughts about the past or the future? Don't you see that? It happens, isn't it? Before you came, you may have a lot of baggages from your busy, worldly schedule, a lot of things undone and so forth. So when you come here, initially you have full of thoughts. But once you start chanting and you dedicate yourself to focus on the chanting, then automatically the thoughts will become less and less. That's one way of getting composure. That's because you are focusing your attention on one object. And then you become composed. Then later, since yesterday, I was teaching you open awareness. Now, open awareness is a bit different from Arang Sama Sambudo and Sukino. Arang Sama Sambudo and Sukino are focused awareness. You focus on Arang, you focus on Sukino. In open awareness, you open up your awareness to many objects, not just a single object. And you move from one sense experience to another. But if you do so, if you try to follow instructions, and you are persistent and patient, you also get composed. As long as your mind is busy following or being aware of sense experience without thinking about them, then you are temporarily freed from thoughts about the past or the future. You may have thoughts about the present, about what you see, hear, smell, taste or feel, but if you also try to reduce that to the minimum, then you will see that the mind also composes. Less thoughts. Why? One is a single object, focus awareness. One is open awareness, many, multiple objects, but still the mind can be composed. Why is that so? So there is an underlying principle and this is based on what I call the five, six, one features of the six senses. Five sense for the five senses, six sense for the sixth sense, which is the mind, and one stands for the object of the sixth sense of the mind. Let's start off by five. The five senses are very specialized. They are very specialized faculties in the sense that each sense can only be aware of its particular, its specific object. And that object must be right here, right now. For instance, the eyes can only see colors, the eyes cannot hear sound, cannot smell, cannot taste, cannot feel sensations. If you've got a pain in your eye, that's not the eye sense, that's the body sense, because the eyeball is composed of body as well as parts of the eye that are receptive to the light and visual objects. And you can only see something which is right in front of you here. What you saw before you came here, if that object is not in front of you, you can't see them with your eyes. 
So it's the same with the other senses. Hearing also, it has to be in the here and now. It's only limited to sound. The ears cannot smell or taste or feel sensations. Okay? So that is what five is about. Each of the five senses can only take its specific object and that object must be in the present. However, the mind is different. The mind can take objects of the past, the present, the future and beyond. You can also imagine. You may have seen a video before you came, a very interesting one, but now you're not allowed to switch on the devices so you can't see or view that or watch that with your eyes, but your mind can still recall what you saw. When you're asleep at night, all your senses are shut down, you have a nightmare, you have a dream, and to you, it's as real as you are awake. You may be fighting with somebody, you may be dancing, having fun in the disco, you may be flying the air, whatever, but it's very real to you. So that is the, the mind. It's a sixth sense that is doing that. Many of these things are also built upon past experiences, past memories. But the mind also can perceive present objects without the five senses. Usually, the mind makes use of the objects that are perceived by the five senses and then interprets them. That's why I say retrospecting is actually the work of the mind. It's not the work of the five senses. Recollecting, remembering, reminding, these are all the work of the sixth sense, not of the five senses. So usually the mind is dependent on the five senses. But there are also times when the mind can also see things or hear things without relying on the five senses. You have heard of people who have out-of-the-body experience when they have a near-death experience, you know, when they have a cardiac arrest in hospital and then the surgeons and doctors try to revive them, but they are temporarily dead because the heart has stopped beating, they have stopped breathing, their brains are not functioning, nothing on the scan is zero, and they're supposed to be dead. And doctors, emergency physicians are all trying to save them, resuscitate them, do all sorts of things to shock them back to life. And they may be gone for about one or two hours, some people sort of two or three days. But then they come back to life. And then they say, at that time, when there's supposed to be zero brain activity, when there's no more heartbeat, body is no longer functioning, they were up there at the ceiling looking at what the doctors were doing. They can describe all the things that the doctors are doing with incredible detail that the doctors also cannot explain. No scientific explanation for that because modern science believes that the mind is the brain. You've got no brain, you've got no mind. But now everything is dead, but the mind is still there. And the mind is seeing everything and hearing the conversations that are going on among the doctors. Okay, so the mind can take present objects as well. But you don't notice it because most of the time it is dependent on the five senses. Some people are clairvoyant. They can see into the future. For most of us, 
when we talk about we worry about the future we are not actually seeing anything in the future we are making projections based on our past experiences what might happen what might not happen and that's what creates the fear and concern and worry in us speculating and that is also based on desire you know you want things to happen in a certain way and then you fear because they might not happen the way you wanted them it's all based on the ego on the I on the wanting well if you have uh, really very good insight experiential insight into cause and conditioning in your daily life as continuous as possible as often as possible in as many aspects of your life as possible then this will definitely decrease you will not have much worries about the future you know that everything is a product of causes and conditions you just do your best whatever happens that's none of my business if it's according to my wishes well rejoice good if it's not then accept it as well because there are other things which you did not foresee and they could have blocked your success these are the five six one features of the six senses five refers to the five senses they can only take present objects the six refers to the sixth sense and the mind the mind can take objects of the past present future and beyond imagination and also nibbana however although the mind is so extraordinary it can take the objects of all the five senses although each of the five senses can only take its individual object the mind can take all of their objects and beyond however for most normal people the mind can only take one object at a time I say for most normal people because there are yogis in India who are not normal they're not abnormal but they're super normal (laughs) they can perceive their minds because they have gone beyond normal consciousness their minds can perceive many things all at once so for normal people the mind can only be aware of one thing at a time so this explains why when you're doing focused awareness you also are composed because your mind is just fixed on one object it's got no time to think of the past or the future or anything so that's why you're composed composure means not being disturbed by distracting thoughts and feelings and emotions and perceptions and so forth in the same way if you're busy trying to keep track of the five senses because the sense objects are in the present moment you try to be in the present but you're not actually in the present you're in the immediate past the senses are aware of present object if you're aware of what the senses are aware of there's an immediate past but if you're trying to do that then you are very close to the present you're as close to the present as you can get you're just right behind the actual present that's the immediate past okay that's why as I said initially this mindfulness is now understood worldwide as present moment awareness and it has become universal because it works people of all walks of life and all human endeavors are using it as a tool to be in the present moment and because when they are in the present moment their mind becomes composed all their troubles are left behind when the mind becomes composed then you can become more efficient 
because you're not clouded by all those distracting thoughts. That's why people who are by nature active, if they have a mental or psychological or financial or relationship issue which they cannot resolve, what do they do? They go take a jog, go hiking, go mountain climbing, go for a swim, go to the gym and work it out, play a game of tennis or badminton. Then when they come back, they feel very refreshed and rejuvenated. Why? Because they were in the present. You know, they were trying to be in the present. And the mind is occupied with the present, then it doesn't think of their problem. So when they come back, since they had a temporary break, when they come back, their minds are clearer and they can see and resolve their problems more efficiently. See, that's why it works. That's why it's so popular worldwide. Right? So that's why this 561 principle explains focused and open awareness. Different types of meditation, one is focusing on one single object, the other one is opening up to many objects, but still you can get composed. People who have done focused awareness before, never done open awareness, at first they are rather doubtful. How can the mind ever get composed being such a busy body, being aware of this and that and that, it's very tiring. If you do it in the same way as you did focus awareness, it's tiring. Having to jump from one object to another. That's what I warned you. Don't do that. You just have to step back and allow the mind to take whatever it can. Take it easy. Free and easy, touch and go. Free. Let the mind flow freely among the senses. Take it easy. Many things are happening. You don't have to notice every single thing. Be content with what the mind can pick up. That's good enough. As long as you don't get caught up in thoughts. As long as the mind is aware of what's happening in the environment. Okay, so that explains the principle behind what you have been doing. Right from day one until now. You have been doing focus awareness. When you were trying to do chant around Samasambuddho and Asukino, these focus awareness practice, samatha. And now when you are doing open awareness, this is still samatha because you are not required to do any investigation yet. This is just to calm down your mind, compose your mind. Then we will go on to do investigation later on when the mind becomes more composed. The Buddha often exhorts the bhikkhus. He would say, monks, Develop samadhi. Develop composure. One who is composed, one who has samadhi, will be able to see things as they really are, or as they have occurred. Okay? So you need to develop composure first, and that's what I'm encouraging all of you to do. And once the mind is more composed, like I mentioned in the interview, not as a group. So what do you mean by composure? Composure is when the thoughts are spaced far apart. If there are no thoughts at all, that's very composed. If there are thoughts, but the thoughts are spaced far apart, there's a thought here, and then no thought, but just five senses, and then one thought, and no more thought, five senses. That's the mind getting composed. If you are trying to meditate, and then you have a whole explosion of thoughts one after another you can't even differentiate 
one thought from another, then how can you investigate? There's nothing you can investigate because it's all jumbled up. It's only when the thoughts are spaced far apart, then only you begin to see, oh, this thought arose because of this cause and this condition. That thought arose because of this cause and this condition. Or how this thought triggered off another thought and it triggered off another thought. You can see that when your mind is composed. Otherwise, you can't see. Otherwise, instead of stepping back and looking at thoughts objectively, what you will do is you will get caught up in a story. This few days, we are just trying to compose the mind. When the mind is more composed, if you had done before, you just incline the mind to verify three characteristics and cause and condition, then you will see. If you are a new yogi, then it will take time. Especially those who have done focused awareness before, never done open awareness, it's going to be a steep learning curve, but please be patient and be persistent. Okay? Don't try too hard. And don't give up too easily. Okay, so any questions before I round up tonight's talk? No question. Alright. Okay, then I will see you all tomorrow. Oh yeah, yeah, I got one more Dhamma rhyme for you. Remember, recollect. Remind, retrospect. Four hours test. Of mindfulness. Remember, recollect. Remind, retrospect. Four hours test. Of mindfulness. Remember, recollect. Remind, retrospect. Four hours test of mindfulness. Okay, repeat yourself. Okay, so I'll see you all tomorrow.